Welcome into the 5 o'clock hour of this Friday edition of News on the Hill. I'm Brighton McConnell, News Director, subbing in for today's show and happy to be here as it has been a fun Friday so far. And we've got some fun segments coming up. We'll be hearing from Art Chansky with his daily sports notebook before too long. And Dr. Deborah Stroman will join me on the phone for Stroman on Sports at 530. It's also a busy day out there on the roads. Got a lot of traffic to share with you and, of course, a weather forecast that is looking really good for this weekend. So that and much more ahead right here on the show. But let's start with our top local news stories of the day. We begin with an update from the Chapel Hill business community. We know that the group, especially Franklin Street business owners, were shaken earlier this month when two owners of one of those Franklin Street shops died in a car crash. Druva Chalani opened the Classic Carolina Apparel Store in 1993, and his son Chris was preparing to take over the business from his father. Three days before the store was set to reopen after extensive renovation, however, the pair were killed in Chatham County when an oncoming driver struck them head on. Now, tomorrow night, the Chapel Hill community is holding a public memorial in the Chalani's memory. The Classic Carolina store has shared this on their social media pages. Friends and family of the Chalani's working to get people there to remember their legacy at the Peace and Justice Plaza on East Franklin Street. So the event will be just yards away from the Chelani store. It is going to be a candlelight vigil. Everything is set to get going at 7 p.m. And organizers are asking folks to RSVP if possible, since they will be providing the candles. We've got the link to do that shared on chapelboro.com, both in a news article and on our events calendar if you're thinking of going and want to RSVP. Some other updates this afternoon. The town of Pittsburgh has had its latest batch of water quality tests come back after receiving a 1,4-dioxane alert exactly one week ago. Good news, the town says amounts of the chemical continue to get lower and lower in their tests, although the first readings from earlier this week also showed that the levels of the chemical were under the amount listed by the EPA as being particularly concerning and hazardous. Now, because of that, today is the final day that people could have gotten free treated water at the Chatham Marketplace. The town had been distributing it to anybody who wished to get some, but that ended at 5 p.m. today because of those trends of the 1,4-dioxane getting lower and lower in the town's water supplies. They have said that they're going to continue to clean and flush their tanks at the treatment center as uh, the weekend continues. You can head to the Town of Pittsburgh website to find all of the latest updates from their 1,4-dioxane testing efforts. Now, news from UNC Police Department this afternoon. The department has once again received a string of reported electric scooter thefts on campus. That's right. This time, several thefts have happened in the last two weeks, being reported at five different student living facilities, as well as two academic halls from the stretch of September 14th through September 25th. Campus police say they are investigating the thefts and are treating this like it could be a situation where the incidents are related. They're certainly not ruling that out. And it's because it's becoming more and more common to see this at Carolina. More people are certainly using these scooters. And as a result, we've seen an uptick in them getting stolen as well. Police said a string of similar thefts happened last November, as well as a flurry of thefts happening in February, too. We've got coverage of that on Chapelboro. And if you want to head to alertcarolina.unc.edu, they also have resources there for people to try and prevent those electric scooters from being taken. 
Now, the more high-profile crime news from UNC recently was the alleged murder of a faculty member. We just passed the one-month mark of that incident yesterday. In the initial minutes and hours after the shooting, the UNC community experienced an extended lockdown as police sought an armed and dangerous person that they believed to be on campus. While much of the focus since that event has been around campus safety and ensuring the students are handling the tragedy all right themselves, there's also been pressure on the UNC faculty. They've had to continue teaching courses while not only worrying about those students, but dealing with their own grief and concern for their own well-being. Carolina Connections' Sophia Cazzini reports on how some faculty members are continuing to process this tragedy. In the aftermath of August 28th, faculty members were left to grapple with their own emotions while trying to offer support and a sense of normalcy for their students. At a faculty council meeting last Friday, faculty chair Beth Morocco said those emotions are complex. Learning that the relationship between the suspect and the victim was that of graduate student and mentor struck us as faculty particularly hard as we cherish those intense relationships that we have with our graduate students. They become like family to us, and we revel in their learning, in their accomplishments, and we applaud them as we watch them into academia and beyond. As a well-respected and beloved colleague emailed me right after the event, something precious has been shattered. How do we rebuild? Many faculty members at the meeting said they felt unprepared for the lockdown. The faculty had questions about whether they could legally force a student to remain in the classroom and concerns about the lack of communication from the university during the lockdown. For many faculty members, this event opened old wounds. Associate professor in the Department of Epidemiology, Anissa Vines, shared how even from off campus, the event shook her. I was off campus. However, it became doubly and, and very traumatizing for me as I recognized that I guess I reached out to my daughter to find out that she was only a block away in her car. Outside of the faculty meeting, associate professor in the Hussman School of Media and Journalism, Deb Icott, also shared how terrifying it felt to be on campus as a professor and a father of a student and spouse of a faculty member. He was alone in his office for three hours, checking WhatsApp and the news for any information on what was going on. On top of being unprepared for the shooting, Icott felt unprepared for the aftermath. You do not see your workplace as a place of danger. Otherwise, you would not come to your workplace. You would not be able to uh, work here. And, and the worst part is you cannot focus when you are living in fear. You cannot. Uh, and, and that's what we were. And that's what we are now. One person had a weapon and did something crazy, right? And the whole community is reeling under that. So I felt really powerless. I, I felt that all the work that we have done can be disrupted by one crazy person. In the wake of tragedy, staff is left to pick up the pieces. I don't think we have enough resources to take care of these things. So the u university can take three steps. One is to be proactive and train the faculty, the students, the staff to kind of take care of these situations. The second thing is, in a university, I've often wondered, there are no big security things. All the doors are open. Think of that. All the doors are open. Anybody can do anything. When I teach my class, I don't know who is coming. Everybody has a backpack. I don't know what's in the backpack. And, and last but not the least, I think whenever these things happen, God forbid, I think there has to be a better communication. I don't think 
this time the three hours of lockdown was crazy and it was fortunate situation that people were safe but think of that if somebody was let loose with a weapon it would be crazy right in chapel hill this is sophia Cazzini. Carolina Connection is a student-produced radio newscast from the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media. If you want to hear their full programs, their latest edition is tomorrow morning at 8.30 right here on 97.9 The Hill. We'll be airing them on Saturdays throughout the fall semester. Turning to some quick news in Raleigh, North Carolina's redistricting efforts have begun once again as Republican lawmakers will have another chance to control how the lines are drawn for state and national representative districts. Now, I phrase it that way because in the past they have often drawn them to have major Republican advantages that have been challenged in the court before. And because of that supermajority in the General Assembly, Republican lawmakers will likely be able to quickly pass new maps to be used for the 2024 election cycle and something different this time around they do have a republican leaning makeup of the state supreme court compared to the last time there were redistricting efforts and those got challenged by the courts and we also have some local election news there of course those are coming up in just a month or so for our towns in orange and chatham and durham counties Uh, Chapel Hill mayoral candidate Jess Anderson just landed the endorsement of former congressman and Chapel Hill resident David Price. We've got the details on why on Chapel Borough. We've also got all the other recent local election news in our local elections tab in our top menu bar. And starting next week, that's where you'll be able to find even more candidate introductions. And we'll be airing them right here on 97.9 The Hill as well. Essentially our version of a radio questionnaire. And next week you'll be hearing from all of the Chapel Hill Town Council and Carborough Town Council candidates with a couple of Chapel Hill ones up first on Monday. So stay tuned for that. Final piece of news here, and it's one regarding 97.9 The Hill. We are so honored to have once again been named the North Carolina Association of Broadcasters Non-Metro Station of the Year. It's the third year in a row we have won that award as well as the Statewide Community Involvement Award. Three years that that award has been around, WCHL has been awarded the Community Involvement Award all three years. We are very thankful to the NCAB for those. We are also, of course, thankful to our listeners, to our community. You guys are why we do what we do, and your listenership is always appreciated and certainly helps drive the importance of what we do and that recognition from the North Carolina Association of Broadcasters. Our full staff filmed a, filmed a very fun video celebrating this accomplishment, which you can find by heading to chapelboro.com or our social media page if you want to give that a watch and have a good laugh on this Friday afternoon. And time now for a look at sports. It's been a couple of days since we've had a full evening of Tar Heel sports as the student-athletes all got a bit of a scheduling break, but we have three matches happening tonight, including the first swim meet of the season. Carolina Swimming and Diving is over at Queens University in Charlotte, and they're starting off their fall and winter schedule with a meet that began at 4 o'clock today. Also on the road later tonight, Carolina Volleyball, who are taking on Florida State starting at 6.30, and UNC Men's Soccer, who are facing off against Pitt on the road at 7. Still to come this weekend, men's tennis players are taking part in the ITA All-American Championships happening in Oklahoma on Saturday. Meanwhile, the ITA Women's Championships are just down the road over in Cary, North Carolina. UNC players expected to be competing in both of those. 
UNC women's soccer is also going to be on the road. They're looking to get back into the win column as they travel to Raleigh to play NC State tomorrow night at 7. And then UNC softball begins their fall schedule on Sunday. They're one of the few teams in town as they'll host Barton College and NC Central in back-to-back games. That starts at 12.30 at Anderson Stadium on Sunday. And it's notable, the first games with Megan Lyons as the new UNC manager after longtime coach Donna Papa retired this past spring. Now, while most of those UNC sports, as I mentioned, are getting back into action, Carolina football team continues to have a nice break with its bye week this week. It comes as the Tar Heels are off to a 4-0 start, something they hadn't done in 26 years. Following their win against Pitt last Saturday, head coach Mac Brown talked about how his coaching staff planned to use this off week, as well as talked about his team's resilience in getting to this undefeated benchmark, something that he hadn't seen in a long time. Yes, I was 45. It was 1997, and, and I just told the guys that, and, and what a significant uh, accomplishment for them. So proud of them. And, and we've had the hardest schedule we've had since we've been here. We've probably had the hardest four games that I've ever played to start a season. Maybe there was a team that was better, but not four teams. And all four of these teams are physical, and, and our guys uh, stood up to the challenge. I see an older, confident team. They prepared this week. They came up here understanding it was going to be hard. I didn't panic when it was hard. But I also see a team that can get so much better. And part of it is we've got so many new coaches that, that uh, this will be a great week to reassess our first four games and find out exactly who we are and what we like and, and what we need to change. Uh, it couldn't be a better time for, for an open date for us. Once again, that's UNC football head coach Mac Brown speaking there. The Tar Heels set to be in action again on October 7th, so one week from tomorrow against Syracuse in Chapel Hill. Kickoff is set for 3.30 in Keenan Stadium. Turning to some news now from Hillsborough, we have confirmed that the Orange County District Attorney's Office will be seeking to prosecute the 17-year-old suspect of a murder in Hillsborough as an adult. Jeff Neiman shared that on Thursday after Durham police arrested the juvenile suspect for the killing of 20-year-old Kaylee Parker and the injuring of an 18-year-old Hillsborough resident who has yet to be identified. Neiman saying, yes, his office will be seeking to move that case from juvenile court to superior court in the coming weeks. And if they successfully do that, we will learn a little bit more information about the suspect, about perhaps any particular motives in that. Uh, in that shooting that happened on West Orange Street in Hillsboro back on September 13th. If you want to read some more coverage of the arrest as well as some coverage of the shooting, you can head to chapelboro.com. The latest discussion on Hillsborough's future train station took place earlier this week during the town's Board of Commissioners meeting on Monday. But instead of talking about the actual station itself, Monday's discussion was largely focused on what the town's vision for the, around the space is going to be. The project site off South Churton Street is in prime position to have connecting pieces to downtown and other communities in Hillsborough. So what are the commissioners hoping to see there? Well, Mayor Jen Weaver joined us on the air after that meeting and did share the town's early wish list for things near the station. Part of it will just need to be for stormwater, things like that. But it has long been part of the town's vision to use this opportunity to uh, put some affordable housing there. And so there's different options that were presented to us by staff last night 
of what development might look like with different examples, different kinds of densities, housing by itself, or mixed use with commercial, which I think that it's fair to say that that is the board's preference, is um, housing mixed in with commercial development. It's also part of the vision that this will be a multimodal hub where area buses will come and be collecting people from this train station, or maybe people in town that are just taking the bus somewhere can catch the bus. Plus, uh, the Ridge Walk brings in this north-south bike and pedestrian connection. None of this is linear. And so it's going to take a lot of patience and hopefully understanding, and we really want the public engaged because ideally we would build the station, build all the stuff around it, and then neatly connect it in a timely fashion to all these other transit needs. But that just isn't the way transportation funding works. These are all big, expensive projects that are going to take years. The, the, the surest thing we can put our finger on is the train station itself. Once again, that's Hillsborough Mayor Jen Weaver speaking there. And as far as the train station goes, the town government has hired designers to begin crafting what the building and site will look like. There are some concept plans that are shared on the town of Hillsborough website right now. And based on their agreement with the state government, that project is set to be completed by March 2027, exactly seven years after that agreement was struck.